The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Indeed, my friends, new months is about to begin. October, not too scary, as indicated. Uh, yeah, tends to be a bit of a bottoming type formation. Uh, I, I got a couple of interesting guests today. Martin Reberge, uh, he is our managing director at Canaccord. He's a North American portfolio strategist. He's been with us for over a decade. He's actually got 25 years of experience on Bay Street. Uh, he helps Jack and I and our team and uh, institutional clients as well um, create tactical mix and sector rotation uh, strategies to navigate through challenging times. Uh, It's not about all in, all out. It's about staying in the game so you participate to the upside. Uh, Interesting stat, uh, Martin, uh, Jack and I have been digesting, and it's bespoke research that shows how long markets spend at the bottom, in fact, within 5% of the low. So those of you who are going to attempt to time markets, this is important. Markets tend to flirt with within a 5% range of their low on average during a bear market for about 17 days. That means you have about 17 days to purchase the market within 5% of its low. If you miss it, you miss it. <laughs> Martin, I want to begin with uh, our next guest, Don Velo. Um, he, he, I think you'd really enjoy spending time with this gentleman. He's been on Bay Street for over 40 years. Uh, he's a market technician as well. He has a CMT designation, um, and he's very much into seasonality and the four-year cycle, and uh, Javit, too, knows him very, very well. But I'm going to ask him the same question I want to ask you right now. Martin Reverse, what is the probability? I'm not going to corny here because we, we work in a, in a world of probabilities, not certainties. What do you think the probability is that the low has been set in the market? Mm, One third, 33%? 33% chance the low is in. Uh, Therefore, the greater probability is the low is still to be witnessed in front of us. And if so, when and at what level do you believe? Yeah, the, um, the the bulk of the price correction is uh is behind us that's for sure um mm-hmm. but uh there's probably one third uh one third to go still and it should be more uh, um next year early next year uh when um we go through the um the downward revisions of corporate earnings for 2023 uh and uh, at at such a time historically uh, you normally require a, an opposite force in the form of rate cuts uh, to offset the impact of the downward earnings revisions. And this is something we're, uh, we're unlikely to do. Obviously, we're going to see a pause, but historically, when you go through the, what we call the final derating in earnings estimates, you, you need an opposite force, and the Fed will just not uh, give it to us. So, so in the near term, the, the, the bullish narrative is that we're obviously going into a, a period where the Fed is likely to be less hawkish. 
But at the end of the day, normally you need um, monetary injection to uh, to stabilize equities, and uh, I don't think we're going to get it uh, before maybe uh, second half next year. Uh, so overall, uh, if I had to uh, to give give it a shot, like the the, the bottom could be near next uh, next spring. Uh, if you're just tuning in, the show's Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday. My partner Jack Hartle and I. Uh, look for the brightest minds and share their thoughts with you on the world of money. There's a bit of lingo in the game. Uh, you know, spend time with the show and you'll pick up on the lingo. And I'm always going to try to bring it back to you. Uh, you know, when we speak about monetary authority. We're just basically talking about the global central banks. And, and when they're hawkish, that means that they got a sharp eye on inflation and they want to tame it, which is the environment we are in right now. The other word we use is when the central banks are dovish. That means that they're very timid uh, and as such are going to be very easy at putting money into the system. And, you know, money really is fuel for the economic engine. When you put a lot of fuel in the engine, she can run for a long time, far and fast. And when you take fuel away, well, you got to every now and then stop and recharge, almost like EV type setup. Um, so, Martin, uh, we obviously are experiencing a good bull, or excuse me, a bear market rally then. Uh, if, uh, if nothing else, um, to what degree do you think this rally is tradable? Um, and I guess we should maybe Jack, you know, get into speaking a little bit about a false sense of security that some people may be witnessing, um, uh, with this rally here and just to remain somewhat vigilant and cautious as we navigate through the next few months. But again, I want to re- remind the audience what Martin said, and that is that we are at least what two thirds of the way through the funk. So we are soon going to be seeing a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But, Jack, I want to throw it over to you in terms of uh, Newton's laws and investor behavior. Newton's laws and investor behavior. All right. Well, well um, I would say uh, you talk about interest rates in Bank of Canada. Um, as you said, they're being very hawkish right now, a sharp eye on inflation, raising interest rates. And when you raise interest rates, um, just like Newton's laws of gravity, Wolf, uh, the higher interest rates go, it draws down asset prices, it draws down equities, um, fixed income as well. And Canadians are experiencing with it with real estate. So, Martin, from your perspective, you know, the Bank of Canada raised 50 basis points, which is a half a percent, taking the overnight rate to three and three quarters. Um, have they pivoted and have they are also already gone too far uh, that they're going to put us into a meaningful recession? Uh, obviously, housing prices have corrected. Do they have further to, to go? Uh, no, what you have to we, we have to understand that Canada is uh, is much uh, weaker in terms of uh, economic production or GDP growth uh, than 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 the U.S. economy. Don't forget, in Canada, we've lost about a hundred thousand jobs over the past three months, and wage inflation is also running mu- running much lower at around three three and a half percent. So we've got like weaker, or let's say inflation is high, but not as severe as in the U.S. So it's just normal for the the Bank of Canada to start being more like a, less hawkish relative to the Federal Reserve. Like and and the message that they wanted to send this week is is certainly that uh, going forward uh, the pace of rate hikes uh, will will come down. And uh, and again it will it remains to be seen how how severe will eventually be. Uh, next year's recession, because like uh, we we're we're in that camp. But but for now, I th- I think 
uh, the uh, the Bank of Canada is probably comfortable in uh, key, like raising rates around four four and a half, which is probably 50 beeps below those uh, in the U.S. Just to account for the fact that uh, the global economy is weaker than it was like six months ago, and and we're ex- extremely sensitive to to export markets. So uh, again, like it, it could well be that the, the Bank of Canada is. Um, actually pivoting while in the U.S. We may have that message more in in November, but most likely in December when we have the, the next summary of economic projections by, by the Federal Reserve. But one thing is for sure, like we the, the tightening cycle is maturing, but in, in Canada we're acting earlier because the economy is growing, so, um, uh, is, is, is weaker than in the U.S. Right. And, and in terms of rate of change, like this is, I'm going to say, one of the tightest um, hiking cycles. So interest rates going up at a very rapid pace. And in the last 40 years, um, the effects on the economy are still to be felt. Do you think that the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, has gone too far already and, and is uh, potentially creating a, a economic weakness and um, uncertainty that they're not even aware of? Or um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, so or, or do you think, or do you think that they have further to go, and they're they're willing to make? I'm going to say a policy error and over tighten just to to squeeze out the inflation. Don't forget that actually, right now the 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 federal funds are are still below uh, inflation rates. Uh, so what the Fed usually measure is the spread between um, Fed funds and their projected rate of inflation. Uh, uh, in the future, and they usually um, measure their 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 inflation forecast using like the December the end of year uh, forecast, and they're now projecting three percent uh, inflation rate for end of next year, December 2023. So, in order to be in restrictive territory, usually you need to raise your Fed funds at least uh, like a one full percent above your projected inflation rate. So, like we're going to be there probably by by the next next Fed meeting, but in no way, like in no way, the Fed is too restrictive by being maybe like one, one and a half percent above the projected inflation rate. Like if we were two, two and a half percent, yeah, maybe, but not at, at like at four and a half, which is the level at which the market and the Fed believes they will be at the end of next year. So I think the monetary overkill will come if after a pause uh, that they are projected to make or they are like the market anticipates anticipates a pause if they realize that inflation is not coming down fast enough and then they start hiking rates again that could be like the um, the, the case for a monetary overkill and a monetary policy mistake but this is something we're going to see only next year right Show Hi-Fi radio each and every saturday right here on 640 jack hartle portfolio manager partner of mine wolfgang klein Indeed, Martin Roberge is our uh, quant North American portfolio strategist. He, uh, he advises institutional clients, which are pension funds, hedge funds, money managers, and the likes. But he also uh, works very closely with Jack and I and the whole advisory team at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, uh, helping make tactical decisions to mitigate risk, yet being able to take advantage of upside when available. We're going to take a quick break, get back to Martin right here on Hi-Fi Radio, stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. shows about it can be a gas bull markets definitely a gas bear markets well it's like a whiff of gas <laughs> not fun but it's part of the process of uh well dealing in capitalist uh, markets they are cyclical they are indeed but you know something over time they get bigger and bigger and bigger and th- that is the primary premise um, you know, more wealth on the planet means, well, higher share prices. And that has been the historic trajectory, trajectory of it. And uh, our theory is, is based on it continuing over time. Every now and then you get these resets. And that's what the world is going through, a global reset of asset valuations. You, you name it. Uh, even, even car prices, as a matter of fact, uh, have been revalued. Used cars are, are rolling over a cliff. Uh, I'll, I'll share with uh, Martin. Uh, Jack and I had the privilege, Martin, of spending some time with Morgan Stanley this week. Uh, actually, Blackstone as well. And it, it, it's a, a, a real opportunity when we get to speak and sit with some of the smartest minds truly in the world. Uh, you know, the, the folks at Morgan Stanley who have an exclusive relationship uh, with Canaccord Genuity um, gives us a lot of leverage uh, in uh timely and forward-looking ideas. So, Martin, uh, we, we, we went to a great present, and I'll send you the slide deck. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I uh, went to a presentation uh, with Morgan Stanley's uh, international uh, asset allocating uh, team. The gentleman's name was Cyril. And his belief is as follows. He believes that the U.S. market has outperformed the global market for 15 years straight. Uh, it's been a market interested primarily in growth stocks, and that's what America does best. It comes up with these innovative companies that have fantastic promises of the future in terms of making money, and as such, when it's game on, that sector does extremely well. Value investing was dead until this year. Uh, Zero believes that uh, the, the, the gap between value and growth has to continue to narrow, Martin, and he thinks we are in a prolonged period of growth, but out, excuse me, of value, but outside of America. Uh, deep value he's recognizing in Japan, value in Europe. Um, and he sees at some point a tactical shift from North American uh, overweight assets into other parts of the world, other developed markets in the world. Uh, Mark, you, you and I have been bantering back and forth about emerging markets and about European equities being on a relative basis cheaper, and they haven't worked out in the last couple of years. Uh, on a relative basis, America continued to outperform. Uh, so on a go forward, and, and, and the second point is, um, Cyril is, is very bullish on the consumer. Uh, so he thinks you can actually overweight consumer stocks and probably some money gets rotated out of the likes of energy stocks to help fund the purchase. So consumer discretionary as a subsector, uh, international de- developed markets over North American markets. What do you think of, uh, what do you think of the strategy? 
Yeah, I, I just if I can start from the growth versus value, and then we can answer the the, the U.S. versus the world. Um, if you look at this market, the the valuation of growth stocks is not low enough to allow the the sector to maintain its leadership in the next bull market. Uh, it's it is similar to the uh, dot com bubble bust when the the bottom of the market was in October two thousand two. But the valuation was so rich that, yes, growth stocks rebounded through 2003, four a bit, and then they lost their leadership. So that's about what we're about, what we're likely to see is that there will be probably in 2023 a temporary shift towards growth. But since the, the, the valuation, the bottom in, in, in the valuation of growth stocks will, be, will not be low enough for growth to outperform for probably more than maybe two, three quarters, okay? Because don't forget, if we have a recession, people will be willing to pay a premium for growth stocks because elsewhere, uh, the value or cyclical companies will be probably lo not losing money, but growth will be negative. But then I think the leadership will eventually shift against towards value when the economy is set to rebound maybe in 2024. And then you get the commodity cycle coming back again. And that's the, just the renewable energy cycle. Greenification will provide the tailwinds for the, for the second uh, leg of outperformance of value equities and probably non non U.S. equities. Um, so we have to remember that also U.S. equities or U.S. corporation are, are are serial buyers of their stock, while in the rest of the world they normally issue companies like to issue more stocks. So the fact that the U.S. market has a lot of growth uh, equities. It will make it probably like a really relatively good place to be sometimes in 2023. But I would tend to agree with the longer term view of, of value over growth over the next bull market, similar to what we saw from 2004 to 2008, okay? Uh, because the valuation launchpad is, is much better for, for value. But again, temporary. Uh, outperformance of growth in 2023, and then value again. And then so let, 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 let's pivot across the ponds. What's your opinion on Japan? Japan has been a, a market I've flirted with my entire career, fits and starts, but uh, it always tends to you know, uh, recede and make lower lows on mass. And of course, there's a currency factor there too that we could talk about. Uh, so opinion on Japan, uh, is, again, and, and Japan is not witnessing the inflation that the rest of the world is apparently experiencing. I find that hard to believe, but that those are the statistics. So speak about Japan and then maybe over to Europe as well, uh, Martin. Yeah, yeah Japan, the, 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 the only, like, you have, if you look at it, stock market on a, on a sector rotation basis, like they have mostly, mostly industrial companies where uh, the level of growth is highly sensitive to what's going on in, in China, okay? Actually, uh, Japan competes with Europe for the Chinese market. Obviously, China is, is going to be weak for the next couple of years. So when it comes to Japan, if you don't have like the hard cyclical slash resource-oriented sectors, uh, Japan is kind of a hybrid between um, the U.S., and Canada, uh, so it ranks okay on, on my on my list. But since it's highly sensitive to 
to China. Um, I think um, other markets like uh, Europe, where valuations are way, way, way uh, lower, and uh, like Australia, for example, uh, within the EFI markets, I think are, are better positioned. And, it, you know, one thing is for sure in, in Japan, yes, they are highly uh, stimulative, but this, uh, this yield curve control where they try to maintain interest rates at a low level, eventually this could break and then Japan would be negatively affected. So I, I would probably uh, rate or put uh, UK before, uh, Germany before, uh, and Australia uh, before Japan when it comes to uh, EFI exposure. Uh, Martin, when you look at Europe, if I may, because there's a few different ETFs uh, to give you broad European exposure. Uh, one ETF is uh, the European Union, and the other is the Eurozone. Uh, can you explain the, explain to me the difference? Uh, EFI will uh, will give you ex- a, um, exposure to um, e- East and Far East, like Japan and Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, while Europe will give you mostly just like the, uh, the German, France, uh, UK, they will not they will not give you Asian exposure. Uh, so that's the difference. There's an ETF which will provide you both exposure to Europe and Asia, but there's one only giving you to exposure to Europe. Uh, so that's the the main difference between the two. Uh, and there are also. No, no, I'm sorry, Martin. I'm sorry, Martin. I, you're, I, I don't think I explained my question properly. There's one that gives you exposure to the eurozone, and the other gives you exposure to broad Europe. My yeah. sense is broad Europe is those countries that I think the the one for broad Europe, which is the IEV, that gives you exposure beyond the European zone, so into some of the periphery nations that aren't necessarily members of the zone. Do you think is, is that correct? Do you think? Oh, that's that's probably yeah. You're right. It's probably like like Central Europe, for example. Broad Europe. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. You know, sorry, but so which way would you play it? Would you just stick within the European uh, Union members, or would you be willing to go beyond as? Actually, I will go abroad, and I'll I'll go. I will. I would go EFI, and I would go uh, Medcap. And there's a nice ETF that you can play, uh, SM C. Carl, uh, Zed, Zebra, uh, it's a mid-cap ETF uh, that gives you broad exposure, but uh, obviously we all know that if those markets are still expensive, it's because of the large, larger uh, cap stocks, in, and that's around the world. So, so I, I, I'm, I prefer to go lower caps, mid-caps, and then EFI, uh, a broad exposure to make sure I capture everything. So S S um, S C Z would be my favorite ETF. S C Z. Um, I want to uh, again share with you some thoughts uh, from Cyril of Morgan Stanley. Uh, again, he's a global strategist, uh, which which was brilliant to to, to listen to because his, his 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 accuracy around the world on on the situation continent to continent was actually astounding. But the forecast is China is no longer going to be the growth engine. It once was, you know, GDP is no longer going to grow in China, eight to nine percent, more likely to grow one to three percent, which I found to be very, very interesting. Yet, he says the the policy of its communist regime is to continue to deliver increased prosperity for the people. And as people become more prosperous, human psychology, uh, call it vanity, if you wish, they want to let other people know that they become 
prosperous. And they do so by uh, displaying brands. Um, stay with me. So one of his ideas was Louis Vuitton, Moët Chardon. Uh, Martin, you being a French-Canadian, I'm sure you know who Moët Chardon is. And I'm sure you know Louis Vuitton. Of course, two companies merged. But Moët Chardon, by the way, is the world's finest champagne. Uh, champagne, by the way, invented by the monks uh, in error. Uh, it was a mistake that the stuff uh, created bubbles. And they like those tiny bubbles and kept producing those tiny bubbles. But the, uh, the Louis Vuitton part is, is the brand. Uh, the, the fashion wear. And, and the, the growth behind such brands is in China, yet their economy is slowing. And the, the Chinese regime is starting to put further pressure on foreign entities operating on their soil. Uh, you got about 45 seconds. Can you speak to the concept, the idea of such brands and, and your vision of success that they can continue to grow in China? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's something, uh, but I would say something very imp- important to offset whatever weakness we could have from, like uh, any Chinese consumption going down, or or uh, I think like or these these companies these brand companies losing maybe some of the market share in China. It's outside China, Viet- Vietnam, the Philippines, like there are other emerging Asian markets that are out there where their middle class is also growing very rapidly. So I wouldn't want to read too much in, in any risks that these uh, brand companies could suffer from maybe losing some of the Chinese market because I think like the, the middle class, the growing middle class is something that we see across Asia and emerging Asia right now and even in, in Latin America. So um, this is something that will play out over several years. So I would tend to to agree with the the fact that, you know, if you look for brand uh, companies like uh, Mochandon, you know, Louis Vuitton and all, like uh, like Lululemon, for example, could be eventually one. Like, I I think those are are great secular plays. It's just that you have to buy them at the right price. Martin Roberge, live from Montreal. La Belle Provence, such a great partner that uh, Jack and I are, are so privileged to have in the Wolf on Bay Street camp. Martin, honestly, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, each and every time I speak with you, uh, you give me wonderful, wonderful guidance. Uh, I want to wish you a great weekend. Uh, Don Velo, uh, market technician, uh, an absolute veteran on Bay Street, uh, a seasonal investor, um, frequent guest on the show. I look forward to uh, picking his big brain as to, you know, the state of the nation. Stay tuned. It's going to be a very good interview. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Black Sabbath. I guess that was their debut record titled Black Sabbath. And the album cover was black. And lettering was purple. Pretty cool. Great record. If you're into metal, it is a must own, indeed. Uh, Paranoid. You know, I I share with you, you know, when I come across investors, uh, I find those that tend to have a bit of paranoia in their DNA don't fare well in the markets. They just don't. Too skeptical. Um, and, you know, 
you just got to, I think, when it, when, in the world of investing, there is so many different ways to make and lose money. But it's about stacking probabilities in your favor. And our previous guest, Martin LeBurge, we're talking about buying quality brands. Uh, we, we, on this show, we don't speak about speculating. You know, Warren Buffett says speculating is when you think you buy something because someone down the road will pay a higher price. What Warren Buffett does is he buys a business that generates cash flow day in, day out. And that is investing. Businesses that generate cash. So you, you can lend money to governments. And guess what? You can actually now generate some interest on that money. You can get 4 and 5% again. It's been a long time coming. Um, so if you invest in a business, you want to generate more than 4 or 5%. And when companies pay you know, 3% divvies, well, you're halfway there. And if they grow their earnings and grow their divvies, well, then you are in the races. So Don Vilo, uh, he's a man that uh, used to answer the phone portfolio investing, Don Vilo speaking. Remember that, Don? Yeah, sounds good there. Woof. But that's what it's all about, portfolio investing and, and, and trying to add value uh, at the margin. Uh, you're a seasonal investor. You're a market technician. Um, we had you on the show in June, Don, and back then you said perhaps uh, based on the four-year cycle, based on the presidential cycle, uh, the low that we witnessed in June could have been the low. Subsequently, when we went slightly lower, and I don't know if a technician would mark that as a new low or not, um, and here we are now witnessing a very strong rally. So I'm going to ask you again, Don, do you think the low is in, uh, or is this just a bear market rally that eventually will fade and new lows will be had next year? My second question is, do you think we are still in a secular bull market, which is a long-running bull market that still has another seven, eight, nine years in front of it, or has the tide turned into more of a longer-running secular bear market? And that is important because that helps Jack and I formulate our longer-term strategies. And I am hearing, Don, more speak that, in fact, we are entering a secular bear market. And if that were to be the case, the only thing that tends to work well is commodities. And guess what? At least we have some here in Canada. Uh, Please, Don, over to you. Yeah, we are in kind of very strange markets. You're right, markets uh, took a really good move from mid-June to August and came right back to where they started from, and now they're starting to go higher again. On a seasonal basis, now is a good time to be involved in both the Canadian and U.S. equity markets. Now, I'm not going to make the call on whether it's a bear market or bull market. I do know that between now and at least the end of the year, we are into a good period of time for equity markets in both Canada and the United States. To put it in perspective, uh, during the past 102 years, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has advanced 83% of the time from October 28th to January 11th. And, of course, we're just about to enter into that period of uh, seasonal strength right now. The other statistics, which is kind of uh, related is uh, when we have uh, midterm U.S. presidential election years. During the last uh, 102 years, we've had 25 of those periods. And from September the 28th to January the 1st, on average, during each of these 25 years, the uh, S&P or the Dow Jones Industrial Average has increased 5.6%. So from a seasonal point of view, we're in for a good period of time, at least until the end of the year. What's going to happen after then? Well, we'll play it one season at a time. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very, very interesting setup because uh, if you're a trader, I think you can be productive. I think as an investor, it's going to be a little more 
challenging. And again, because uh, you're going to feel better as an investor over the next few months, we believe the setup is right here in front of us. And uh, the momentum is now uh, propelling the market into the upward trajectory. Uh, but if you give it all back and then make a new low, then you get that despondency. Uh, and so I'm just trying to prepare people's mindset that you've you got to be careful that you don't make a, uh, a big pot of gold into a smaller pot of gold uh, by picking up the bar of soap at the wrong time uh, in the cycle. Uh, so if you're a trader, know where you are. If you're going to put some trades on, you have to take those trades off. If you're an investor, you have to be prepared for further volatility. But again, if you stretch your time horizon out five or ten years, I think the probabilities uh, invariably are being stacked for more and more in your favor, so much so that I, there's no 10-year losing period, I believe, in equities. I think it might be one decade that was flat. Uh, but that, again, is easier said than done. Living through it uh, is a whole different kettle of fish. Uh, let me throw it over to you, Jack. You're the behavioral scientist uh, on the team. Yeah, th- thanks, Wolf. And uh, you talk about a 10-year period where it's flat. I think you're talking about also, you know, two extremes there. Uh, and, you know, in terms of setting a setup, um, you know, the pendulum swings exceptionally bullish and then exceptionally bearish. So so right now we have a lot of bearish sentiment out there. Don, um, what's your expectation in terms of, I know into the end of the year you'd like that, but in terms of uh, potential short squeeze in the market, just adding fuel to this fire, is that something that you're looking at as well? Yeah, there's some uh, speed bumps coming our way over the next uh, few weeks, which will cause the markets to, let's, let's put it as a uh, volatile. Uh, clearly, there's the what's happening with the FOMC meeting coming up next week. Uh, how is the, was the FOMC going to uh, jump uh, interest rates higher in the United States, or are they going to hold on with what they're currently uh, recording. That's just one next week. Uh, Another one is the U.S. midterm congressional election. That's on November the 8th. Historically, right around that time, equity markets, both in Canada and the United States, are extremely volatile. We'll probably see that happening uh, once again this time around. And, of course, the other thing is uh, quarterly earnings reports coming out right now. Third quarter reports uh, there's been great concern about what they're going to be. Uh, analysts have reduced their estimates quite significantly. And now earnings are coming out, and for most companies, the numbers are higher than consensus. There's been some obvious big exceptions like Alphabet and Microsoft, which have been hit pretty badly over the last little while. Meta, Meta is another one which has been hit very badly. So you've got to be very, very careful. There's a lot of volatility going on right now. There is indeed, but you can certainly pick up quality. And it's, it's, again, you, you look at these great businesses, uh, and you know, on, on a normal, comfortable day when there's no volatility, you say, gee whiz, if I could only buy this business down here. And then all of a sudden it gets to the level and you don't execute the trade. Joe's Hi-Fi Radio, we're here to help you make more money. Uh, Don Velo, a market technician, a longstanding friend of mine, a, a veteran on Bay Street, uh, just a wealth full of market knowledge. Uh, a delight to have him on the show. We're going to spend some more time with him. Take a quick break and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome 
Welcome back to the show, my friends. It is Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Yeah, a few thoughts going through my mind as I chew up that song for you. Uh, is that a Morgan Stanley presentation? Uh, met with their international tactical strategist, Cyril, and uh, came up with some ideas uh, through him. And one was looking at a company called, and I have not bought the stock yet, and I may not buy, buy the stock, but it's very intriguing, uh, is the brand of Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari is at some point going to do away with their pop and pistons and go electric. And apparently building an electric vehicle, uh, once you have it figured out uh, and able to supply all of the stuff required, there are less parts. And in fact, you can make an electric vehicle about 30% cheaper have, or have higher gross margins than you can a combustible vehicle. But uh, what was most powerful about the brand of Ferrari uh, is it has a backlog i.e. a wait list to get a vehicle. And as such, with limiting supply the way they do, uh, their uh, eclectic and, and passionate market will basically pay anything asking. Uh, no, no sticker dicking around on a Ferrari. Take it or leave it. Uh, I know for, uh, Hardy Davidson uh, used to do that, uh, and they got away with it for a period of time. Uh, but then, you know, that brand went cold and actually has just resurrected itself a little bit. But this Ferrari one uh, intrigues me. The symbol's race, by the way, if you're interested in uh, doing some homework on it. And again, the key is, you know, when you're looking at businesses, uh, you, you want to look at it from multiple lenses. And the, 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 the fortunate uh, the good fortune Jack and I have is working on Bay Street. We have relationships uh, with people both here in New York and in Boston and access to research, uh, research that you really can't conduct on your own because, well, people won't talk to you because who are you? Uh, but the companies will speak to analysts uh, who work for big firms because they, of course, uh, want to have their stock, quote unquote, promote it. It's the way the game works. I remember speaking to um, uh, Stu Kedwell, Don. Uh, and Stu said, you know, well, we, we, we have to trade. Uh, Stu Cabo, by the way, is a big money manager over at uh, RBC. And he said, we have to trade through more. Uh, we have to trade through the likes of Goldman Sachs because we want to speak to a particular analyst. If we put through enough business through Goldman Sachs, the analyst will speak with us. And if we don't, they won't. Uh, and it's an idea business. You're always looking for an edge. Anyway, just some food for thought. Uh, Don, the bond market. Uh, again, I'm just working off some bespoke research. The bond market, it's down two years in a row. If you own bonds in the last two years, each and every year, you lost capital on paper if you were to liquidate. So two negative years of bond market action. Never in history has the bond market had three back-to-back negative years. Can you buy bonds right here, right now, uh, with a high degree of not losing principal? It's fascinating because we've seen bond prices just during the last uh, uh, week or so move higher, which is unusual because that's against the the trend. But that's not unusual for another reason. If you look at what's happening with yields in the United States and what's happening with the U.S. currency, the U.S. dollar index, they're clearly moving in the opposite direction. In other words, the, when you see bond prices going higher, you see, that means that the uh, U.S. dollar index is moving lower. Now, the U.S. dollar index uh, on Wednesday of this week completed a classic double-top pattern after going in a long, long upward trend. Just like interest rates were in a long, long downward trend, now we're starting to see early signs of uh, interest rates starting to go uh, well, price, price, price is going higher. That's right. 14 highs, yeah. 
So the, the question is, what can you do as an investor? Well, first of all, if you think that the U.S. dollar is going to start moving lower, then you may want to consider buying investments other than in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Implying that maybe for next little while, you might want to own Canadian assets instead of U.S. assets. Because if the U.S. dollar is established a downward trend, that means that all your U.S. assets will decrease in value over yeah. time. Yeah, so, Jack and I did that. We did some of that this year. We repatriated some currency this year. Uh, and unfortunately, we were, we were early on selling the U.S. dollar. However, we did parlay it into Canadian energy stocks which obviously had a great move. So we're still able to, on math, make money. Well, I'm going to say to you something, Don. Again, I'm going to consider myself a student of yours. I'm your pupil. And uh, you haven't marked my exam recently, but I'm going to honestly share with you, year to date, uh, our portfolios are down 9%. Growth, balance, and conservative. What do you think of that number, Don, as, as my teacher? Yeah, actually, that's very good. If you think of the uh, uh, Dow and the S&P and the TSE Composite, uh, generally speaking, are, are down substantially more than that. Uh, the Dow and the uh, NASDAQ, for example, are down in excess of 20%. The Canadian market's done a little bit better, but 9% actually is, is uh, reasonable uh, for a decline so far this year. Yeah, a, a decline by Wolfgang Klein. Uh, I will say to you, it, it, it's just funny. So I'm, I'm, we're down about 9%. In fact, probably 8 right now, Don, to be honest with you, about 8% as of right here. But And and therefore, being down 8% is my best year on Bay Street. And I'm not, get, I'm not getting the present. No one's, hey, Wolf, great year. Because <laughs> we don't like to lose money. But again, uh, I will say, Don, the key is communicating with clients in advance, trying to forewarn them of what will happen. And then hopefully it doesn't happen as bad. I can see some else, Don, that you know and Jack knows. I'm just continuing to learn um, is, is this notion of change of direction. And it ties into Jack, who was uh, reteaching me the three key laws of Newton. But it, it, one fellow, the guy from Morgan Stanley said to me this week, he said, you know, things can go from crap to bad and the market can go up significantly. As long as the trend change is in the positive direction, so from just getting less bad, you can have significant moves in markets. And that's, again, the, the forward-lookingness of the market is what I think behooves most people except veterans like ourselves. And that's the most fascinating part of our business. We are working with a crystal ball that actually works. Don Velo, market technician, uh, great guy, veteran on Bay Street. Always a treat to have him on the show. I can't thank you enough for your thoughts, Don. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, Jack Hartle, uh, portfolio manager extraordinaire. Uh, always a pleasure working with you, my good friend. You're a great guy. Friends at home, any questions for Jack or I? WolfgangKlein.com, TheWolfOnBayStreet.com. We are here to help you have more wealth. If you're having a bad experience, well, do something about it. Give us a call. If you're having a good experience, you want a better experience, call us as well. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.